you would turn the Bible to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to keep moving there. We're going to finish up the first chapter today. One of the things that makes me really happy and excited is to see how many children are in our church. The youth ministry is growing. The children's ministry is growing. Uh, the nursery is growing. And the mom's bellies are growing. There's no end in sight for uh, the, the, the increase of children around here, and that's good. <clears throat> but it means there becomes a responsibility with it, doesn't it? Children are a big responsibility. Discipling them is a big responsibility. Doing what the Bible says to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord is a big responsibility. We know that. And so... There's going to be a lot of opportunity for you uh, seasoned parents to mentor some new parents, and I hope you're ready for that. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for you who are finished parenting, if there is such a thing, to pray for those who are beginning parenting. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for that in our church in the coming years. There really is. There really, really is. A lot of opportunity for us to do this together, Right? A lot of times in society, you'll hear the phrase, it takes a village, right? You know that? You like that phrase? Yeah, it's good. Well, that's absolutely true in the church. It's absolutely true in the church. It takes a body of Christ. Do not think for a second that the way you're raised will be enough for the way you raise kids. Do not think for a second that uh, we duplicate ourselves. Do not, right? If you want your child to know and love God and follow him and live for Jesus, then you need a church, they need a church, there needs to be multiple relationships. There needs to be older people they look up to, there needs to be mentors that they connect with, there needs to be people that are just a few years older than them, there needs to be all of that, and praise God we have that here, may we all be looking for that. But it makes me a little bit nervous because that means people are going to be asking me for advice. And at this stage, I really don't have much. But I do know this. If there's anything that I can say about parenting, it takes everything. It takes you being all in. It's not a few days a week. It's certainly not 40 hours a week. It's not Monday through Friday. It's not summers. It's constant. That's what I know about parenting. It's constant. There are no days off. And while I'm still trying to sort that out as a parent, I want you all to know here today from Philippians chapter 1 that I know the same thing about Jesus. And I want to preach this. I want you to believe this. And I want us to be about this. If I know anything about Jesus, it takes everything. You must be all in. We cannot be those sometimes. We are not those who act certain ways in some places and act certain ways in other places. We're not those who act certain ways on some days and act other ways. We're not those who speak a certain way at some days or in some places. We want everything about us to be for Jesus. 
And at the end of Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is making this so incredibly clear. This is the passage where Paul speaks boldly about living and dying. It's a passage that you have heard before. It's a passage that I am sure today is going to impact us, at least I pray. We will see today that the Apostle Paul wants the church to understand that if you are going to believe in Jesus, it must take everything. It must be all of you. It must consume your entire life. Yes, it must consume your entire life. Jesus must. Read with me, if you will, beginning in verse 18. Now, in your Bible, verse 18 is split in half in sections. I don't know why they did that. So we're going to start there in the middle of 18 where it says, yes, and I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Last week, I talked about our circumstances being used by God for the glory of God, that our circumstances can be used to uh, worship God and point to him, and that our circumstances can be used to give confidence to those others, other believers who are looking at us in our circumstances, right? Now we have the Apostle Paul just continuing on speaking of that. This is fascinating. You have a man here who does have confidence. He does have peace. He is settled you have here a man who seems to have an anchor in his soul, seems to have a firm foundation underneath his feet. He seems to have joy in his heart. He seems to have peace at the end of his life. He seems to be uh, comfortable here in which is a very uncomfortable setting. This is appealing to us. It is attractive to us to see a man whose life isn't really all that good, but he's okay with it. And one must ask when we read about Paul writing the letter to the Philippians, what is it about him? And the answer you know is that he has Christ. He has Jesus. He is a believer. He has a relationship with God. His soul has found the one he was made for. His sins have been washed away. His guilt has been cleansed. There is peace inside of him, spiritually speaking, 
in his conscience. He has a relationship with God. And the difference here is Jesus. It's fascinating to read this. If you take this really for what it is, a man in chains, he sits in chains in prison as he writes this. And yet to see who he is and what he's like grips us. In the bulletin, I've got living, dying, and striving. My first point today is joyfully living for Jesus. It builds on last week where your circumstances don't create your joy. Surely you know enough by now to know that. Your circumstances do not create your joy. One commentator says, whether he lives or dies, whether he is executed or released, Paul is determined to rejoice. The prospect of his trial drove him to prayer. It did not drive him to despair. His joy did not depend on the prospect of keeping his life, but on honoring Christ, whether by life or by death. What a huge paradigm shift this will be for you when your desire is not that things be good or bad, not that you would live or die, but that Christ would be honored. Does everybody hear that? What a huge mind shift this is when you're not so concerned about living or dying, when you're not so concerned about good or bad, more money or less money, but rather on Christ being honored. Now, we have lots of other desires. Those desires are not bad. I hope you eat lunch today, and I hope you get a raise next week. I hope life goes well for you. But over and above that, whether it does or whether it doesn't, is this desire that in whatever circumstance, Christ would be honored. We see the Apostle Paul joyfully living for Jesus. Verse 18 from last week says, in that I will rejoice. Verse 18 begins today with, yes, and I will rejoice. You have a rejoicing prisoner. Is that an oxymoron? Not if you know Jesus. We have a rejoicing prisoner because of Jesus. He's praying for people. He's writing letters to a church to build them up. That's what we have here. He's recalling all of the neat ways that God has worked in their lives, that God has worked in his life. He's able to remember those things. It's awesome. And yet, we know his circumstances. Just notice a few things here that show us that he has joy. It's not a stretch for me to say that he's a joyful man. He really is a joyful man. He's a rejoicing man because he is living for Jesus. Look what he says. Verse 18, I rejoice. Verse 20, it is my eager expectation and hope. Have you been down before? I don't care. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. We're going to lose. North Carolina's not going to make the tournament this year. Paul is in a bad spot. And he says, it's my expectation and hope. Imagine having high expectations in such a low position. Imagine being hopeful when you don't have hope. According to what the world would say, you're in prison to die. Not to mention that it's over something that is so polarizing like politics or religion, which both are here because he's preaching the gospel in a place where he's not supposed to be preaching the gospel. So both are in play. And yet he is full of expectation and hope. But go on a little bit further where he says, I'm not going to be ashamed. Everybody see that in verse 20? It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. What, what shapes the guilt and shame in your life? 
Think about how much of our lives are trying to get away from the things that bring guilt and shame and not focus on them and focus on something that doesn't bring us guilt and shame. And what about the reality that Jesus gives such a joy that we can face our flaws and face our shortcomings and we can admit when we're wrong. We can admit when we've been bad. We can admit that we have done things that have not honored God because it is God who loves us in that position and gave us Jesus to be a savior that forgives our sins. So the things that bring shame, we don't ignore and deny. We admit, we confess, we are honest about that. That's what Christians are. That's what joyfully living for Jesus is all about. We have a man in prison. There are probably a lot of people wanting to shame him, but he says, I will not at all be ashamed. Look what he says next. That with full courage. Now as always, Christ will be honored. Have you ever thought about what is honored in your life? I've started recently, you know, when you do a lot of funerals, you kind of have to change your funeral message up a little bit. And I've started recently trying to talk more about honor. You know, honor is a small word, five letters, H-O-N-O-R, but it's got a big meaning, doesn't it? But do you ever think about honor? I mean, well, often we go to honor, we think about our military, they, let, they give up their lives and they sacrifice for our country, but there are lots of ways that we do honor, that we are to show honor. Do you honor people? Did you know that God put it in the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother? Have you thought about that lately? Have you thought about your work ethic this past week could be honoring to your mom and dad? Even if they were the worst mom and dad in the world, have you thought about that being honoring to them? Have you thought about your integrity, your speech, how it reflects on your parents? Have you thought about that? Think about honor much? Who's honored with the way that you live? Who's honored by who you are? And the apostle Paul, because he is joyfully living for Jesus, sits in prison with chains around him, and he says, Christ will be honored in me. In my body, Christ will be honored. With my groanings, with my longings, with my desires, with my sexual desires, with my hunger desires, with my boredom, with my peace, with my frustrations, with my anxiety. Christ will be honored here. I will turn everything over to him. I will admit all things before him. Christ be honored. What a joyful living for Jesus. Then he says this, which takes it further. Look at verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He is so joyful in Christ that if he lives, it's fruitful labor. His very being, if God keeps his heart beating, it will be fruitful labor. What joy, what purpose he has on Christ. Imagine how many people who are just trying to find themselves or just trying to find something or just trying to find a job or just trying to find a mate and they seem to be so far from understanding the reason why they are alive. The reason why God has you alive is so that you would live for him and you can live for him in any situation. You cannot have a job and live for God. You cannot have a boyfriend and live for God. You can live a fruitful life when you love Jesus. When the joy of Jesus is in you, there is fruitful labor there. This man has no woman, no job. He's in prison. And he said, boy, I got a fruitful life. Amen, he does. He's impacting Josh Green in 2020. He's he's impacting First Baptist Fairdale in 2020. And amen, all over the world in Mexico, they're preaching the book of Philippians too. He had a fruitful life, I'd say. I dare say that his life's been more fruitful than all of ours, right? 
because he wasn't thinking about what it takes to be fruitful. He was joyfully living for Jesus. Now, the reason why I use the word living here is because he talks about living or dying. And my second point is going to be dying, but let me show you why I'm saying living. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. If I'm alive, live for Jesus is what he says. Verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He is so torn between living and dying because he knows that dying is better, which I'll talk about in a second, but living is good for the people he knows. He is so joyfully living for Jesus that it benefits anybody to know Paul because he is so wrapped up in Jesus. Joyfully living for Jesus. Folks, I want us to understand and get a view of if anybody knows you, it should be good for them for the cause of Christ. Not because you're rich and you're going to be able to give them money. Not because you're a, a, a mover or a shaker and you've got so many resources you can connect people to them. Not because of that, but because you know the answer to life. Because you know Jesus joyfully living for Jesus, the apostle Paul is. But I want to point out one more thing that I didn't know. And when I, when I found this, I was absolutely fascinated. Do you see up here in verse 19, where he says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Does everybody see that? I want you to turn with me to Job 13. Job Job is the book before Psalms. This is outstanding. Your Bible's footnotes are not going to show this. Look at Job 13. If you know the story of Job, which I hope that many of you all do, Job was a righteous man, a godly man, believed in God. And God and Satan end up having this kind of like face-off where Satan challenges God or God challenges Satan that Satan is not more powerful than God, and he isn't. Satan cannot do anything that God does not allow him to do. May that comfort you here today. Satan, in turn, starts to destroy Job's life. He really does. Satan starts to destroy Job's life. But God proves all through it all, that he will keep Job focused on God despite all of the bad that goes on from Satan. That's what happens. It's a big drama, 40-some chapters. And here at chapter 13, verse 15, Job says this, though God slay me, I will hope in him. What a statement. Job says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. If God Almighty, my maker, wants to kill me in suffering, I will still trust in God, my maker, for he is bigger and better than me. It is an outstanding picture of faith. But because of the way Job was wrestling, look what he says next. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. But look at the next verse. This will be my salvation. Or as your translation might say, this will turn out for my deliverance. Guess what we didn't know? I found this studying. It says, 
Paul's decision to rejoice whether he lived or died was not completely irrational. His joy was based on the knowledge, the knowledge of his deliverance. For I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's words, listen, will turn out for my deliverance are the same words used by Job. While he was suffering, Job asserted, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Then Job expressed his hope. This will turn out for my deliverance in 1316. Listen to this. Paul recalled the scriptural account of the story of Job, Job's suffering, while he was in chains. By appropriating the story of Job to his own experience of suffering, Paul was able to echo the hope of Job. I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Can you imagine that the apostle Paul sitting in chains, missionary to the Gentiles, is recalling the story of Job, seeing himself in a similar light as Job, in a miserable situation, though he slay me, yet I will trust him, for God knows how to deliver me. What a thought. What a joyful living for Jesus we have here with the Apostle Paul. He's alive, he's alive and well, and he knows that his life counts. Rejoice, expectation, hope, not ashamed, honor, fruitful labor, recognizing his way with Job, boldly proclaiming that God will deliver him, joyfully living for Jesus. But number two, courageously dying for Jesus. And, you know, sometimes in church we get a little R-rated. We have to sometimes. The Bible is here. And I, I don't want to say too much. don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. But the Bible often speaks of things. There are some really, really harsh R-rated stories in the Bible, which we have talked about before. And I want to be guarded somewhat. I know we have children in here. But I trust, remember, parenting. don't have much parenting advice except for you can talk to them about something that I say today. The Apostle Paul understood that he was going to die. The Apostle Paul understood that when he died, it would be a good thing. As a challenge to you, and as a challenge to everybody you know, one thing I know at this stage of life is it's flying by, is it not? One thing I know at this stage of life is that it is flying by. It won't be long before we're all there. I don't mean to discourage you. I mean, be honest about that, okay? Let's be ready to die. The apostle Paul was courageously dying for Jesus. And I don't mean he was comforted by such a good life. I mean, let's don't miss the obvious. He didn't have such a great life, okay? If you're talking worldly standards. He didn't get to retire in Florida and wear shorts and flip-flops all day long. He didn't. He's cold. He writes in one of his letters, bring my coat, I'm cold. He's not too happy here as far as the worldly circumstances goes. But he is content in Jesus. He is courageously dying for Christ. Look at verse 20. He wants Christ to be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. Imagine God, when it comes time for me today, may it be an honor to you. May me passing away make you look high. May people look to you when I die. May they not say things that make me sound great, but may they say things that make people know that I've trusted in you. May they be comforted, not that I had a good life, but may they be comforted that they know where I'm going. May they be comforted that heaven's a real place, that forgiveness of sins is a real thing. May you be honored in my death. 
Verse 21, he says that to die is gain. That's the big statement. Philippians 1.21 is like the verse of this chapter because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There aren't many people that think dying is gain. There just aren't. There are many people today that are scared to death to die. Some of y'all here are scared to death to die. You won't admit it right now, but in a few weeks or in a few years, you'll get a diagnosis that you're about to die and you'll start kind of freaking out. But Paul says it's gain. It's better. In verse 23, he elaborates. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Listen, for that is far better. If the promises of God are true, if heaven is all that heaven is supposed to be, if it is with God forever, if there is no sin there, no crying there, no death there, no evil there, then is it not way better? Is it not way better? Absolutely it is. Death is gain when you know Jesus. Now, let's not miss the obvious here. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the treasure. Folks, listen. Deaths are hard on all of us. Loved ones dying is hard on all of us. But don't kid yourself that people dying without Jesus is a good thing. Don't give false comfort. Don't set them up for the rudest of awakenings when they find out. Does everybody hear me? Don't set somebody up for the harshest of realities when they find out that he or she's not there. He's courageously dying for Jesus. See, when you start reading the Bible and you see what it actually says, you kind of see why the old school Christians were urgent, don't you? If you start preaching the whole Bible, you can't miss that there's an urgency here. Some of y'all love your family so much that you think, I can't go on vacation for two weeks, I'll miss them too much. I hear people say all the time that kids in college aren't going to go all far away because they can't be away from their mama. And I get it. I, I love that. I love you loving family. Don't be apart from your family for eternity. Have some conversations. Wash some feet. Lay down your life. Get over small differences. Push through the awkwardness. Step on some toes. Talk about Salvation. Talk about the one who loves them more than anybody. Talk about the one who can forgive their sins. Talk about the one who died for them. Paul is courageously dying for Jesus. He's ready for this. He is ready for this. If it's, time, if it's his time to go, he's ready. And you know what I think's cool? I do actually get to work with a lot of people who are like this. It's not always the case, but from time to time, I'll have somebody call and say, hey, can we talk? And they say, I'm just, I'm ready to die. I've had a long life. I know where I'm going. I'm trusting in Christ. He's my treasure, and I'm ready. I'm ready to get there. I'm ready for heaven. I'm ready for eternal life. Life's hard here. I'm hurting here. I'm in pain here. I'm suffering here. I'm missing people here. I can't do anything here, right? And they feel like that. I got to talk them through it. We don't get to choose death. 
We're not going to go and kill ourselves. We're not trying to get ourselves there quicker. We've got to understand what Paul understands, that as long as we're here, there is God's good reason in why we're still here. As long as we're here, God has good reason in why we're still here. I talked to somebody in our church recently who said that they're ready to die. Somebody in our church recently told me that they were ready to die. And I said, well, I understand that from your perspective. But I want you to understand from my perspective, I'm not. I said, my kids love you. They love visiting you. They love spending time with you. And when you die, it'll be better for you, but it'll be a little bit worse for us. We won't be able to see you anymore. My kids won't be able to come over here and love on you. You won't be able to give a little piece of candy. You see what I'm saying? So we're not in charge of when we die, but there are some people sometimes who say, hey, Christ is my treasure. If the Bible has taught me that he's my treasure and he's forgiven my sins and my soul is at peace with God, then I'm ready to die. And that's where Paul is. He's courageously dying for Jesus. He's just wrestling with it. He understands that, hey, he might get released. He'll keep doing missions. He understands that he might be executed right there. He understands that he might not get executed, but he will stay in prison. This is all the stuff that could be meaning when he says, my deliverance. A lot of different options there. But whether he lives or whether he dies, he's okay. He's trusting in Christ. There is courage there. And I wanted you to see that the very word courage is used. Look at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage... Christ would be honored whether I'm living or dying. Now, I want you to know and to believe that if you will trust in Christ, if you will trust in Christ, you can have courage that you're ready to die. If you will believe in Christ, if you will cast off all of your personal longings and personal sins and you will confess to God that you need him and you will repent and say, God, forgive me of my sins. If you will say the way I've done it is not right, I need you and I will turn to you and you say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. If you will repent, if you will believe, if you will trust that Jesus saves, that Jesus is the answer, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again for you, if you will just believe that, God will save save your soul, and you'll be ready to die. Now, if you die tomorrow, then that would be a quick fix. If you live for 50 more years, then it'll be more necessary for us, like he says, right? Courageously dying for Jesus. I want to tell you of another story. I mentioned it on Wednesday night. And again, this might take some explaining to the kids as well. I don't even want to tell you where this was, another part of the world, Pastor Lawan Andemi, perhaps you heard about this. On January the 3rd, was captured. January the 3rd was captured. On January the 5th, they allowed him to release a ransom video. They were wanting 2 million euros. You've probably seen this story, worldwide news. But his name was Lawan Andemi, captured on January the 3rd by a militant group. January the 5th, they released a ransom video about two minutes long of him speaking, and if somebody would provide two million euros, then they would let him go. In his video, he kind of turned it into uh, not so much, hey, please rescue me, please rescue me, but uh, a testimony to his faith in Christ, and whether it happens or not, I don't know, he says, but may God be glorified. They were wanting two million euros. They only came up with 5,000. So on January the 20th, our brother in Christ, Pastor Lawan Andimi, was beheaded. 
It revealed a modern-day Shadrach, the article writes. By the grace of God, I will be together with my wife, children, and my colleagues, he said. But if the opportunity has not been granted, maybe it is the will of God. Be patient. This is what he said in the two-minute ransom video. Be patient. Don't cry. Don't worry. But thank God for everything. This is completely different from most hostage videos. And Demi appeared as one who has already conquered death saying to his abductors and to the rest of us that he is ready to die for his faith in Christ. As Christians, knowing there is life after death, we nevertheless value the gift of this life. And we join in mourning an uncommonly courageous man who, despite knowing death was a very real prospect, maintained a calm and deep faith that will continue to inspire for generations. Pastor Andemi died a martyr and therefore no doubt a Christian hero. The blood of martyrs is the seed which waters and grows the gospel of peace as good news to a broken and hurting world which Jesus Christ called us to proclaim. Pastor Andemi's blood will water the spread of the gospel in his country and other parts of the world. No doubt about this. You can go online and watch the video. It's two minutes long. Just look up his name, Andimi, A-N-D-I-M-I. You can watch the video. It's a two-minute ransom video. And while he should be pleading with people for somebody to come and rescue him, in fact, he is content and trusting in God because he knows that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He joyfully lived for Jesus and he courageously died for Jesus, our brother, on January the 20th. But lastly, number three, there is a faithfully striving for Jesus. There is a faithful striving for Jesus. Paul was joyfully living for Jesus, and Paul was courageously dying for Jesus. But the end of chapter 1, he writes to the church that because of him and like him and in similar ways to him, that they would faithfully strive together for Jesus. That the faith which fueled him his living, that the faith which fueled him his dying, would also fuel their striving together. Look in verse 27. He says to them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. When I said at the beginning that if I know anything about parenting, it takes everything, and if I know anything about Jesus, it takes everything all in, this is what he means by let your manner of life be worthy of Christ. Y'all, we are not witnesses to Christ because we show up to church on Sunday. We are witnesses to Christ with the way we carry ourselves day in and day out through every single scenario that life brings us, through the ups and the downs, through the difficulties, through the trials and the tribulations. Let your manner of life be worthy of Jesus, he writes to them, so that whether I come and see you or whether I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Paul may not get back to the Philippians. He knows that. He says, I may see and I hope to. It's always good when we get to reconnect. But if I just hear about it, here's what I want to hear, that you're standing firm. It's awesome imagery here. It's the picture of a soldier who's decided what matters to him, what he'll live for and what he'll die for. And he takes his post and he spots up and he says, here I am. I've got conviction. I've got strength. I've got purpose. I know what I'm about. I know what I'll do and I know what I won't do. Standing firm. He writes that to the church. But when he says standing firm, he gives the idea of a soldier by himself. He says, I may hear of you standing firm in one spirit, strong, by faith, believing. Here's my job. Here's what I do. I don't waver. But the very next line 
doesn't say standing firm. The very next line says, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's not a word that talks about one man standing strong, strong in his post. It's a word that talks about a whole army of soldiers side by side lined up advancing. So to go into the army or to be a soldier, to be one guy, you have to on your own be able to stand firm, say, here's who I am, here's what I believe. But at one point when you become that, you have to lock arms with everybody else and say, here we go. And it shows a picture of a group of people together moving forward in the ups and downs of life. Well, guess who he's writing to, people? He's not giving military advice. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's saying to each one of them, I want you to stand firm focused. I want you to stand firm focused. And as you stand firm focused, guess what? We strive together. This is an argument here for church to be church, for it to be knowing and loving and serving, for people to know and care about Jesus, to be up in each other's business, to hold each other accountable, to work together. It is a beautiful picture of a body of believers having each other's back. Loving each other through it all and advancing. Not advancing their cause. Not advancing our name. But advancing Jesus. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. A lot of times when you go on a mission trip together. By the way, we just announced the Ecuador mission trip. Dates for that. If you're interested, please let us know. A lot of times on a mission trip, you will go all day long working like crazy. You'll be exhausted doing all sorts of different things. And there have been so many times on a mission trip, we kind of get to the end of the day, and everybody just kind of sits down, and we're trying to have group time and talk, and everybody's like, I'm worn out. And everybody looks around and says, yeah, me too. And you kind of come to this awareness of, hey, today, together, we work. We served. We lived for Jesus. I kind of felt this way back in the fall. When we were feeding the football team every Friday, it was kind of a big deal for our church. It was a lot of effort. There'd be a team of people that would show up here, but sometimes by 11 o'clock in the morning, start cooking and start preparing, start doing all this sort of stuff. And then at about uh, 2 or 3 o'clock, it was getting close to go time. We had to make sure the tables and the chairs and the drinks and the ice and all that stuff were ready. And then by about 3 o'clock, here come all, all the football players and the coaches, about 70 people. And I usually don't show up till right about 3 o'clock, don't do any of the other, other work. Walk in, walk, in right, walk in right at 3 o'clock, ready to love on some players and shake some hands and get, get ready to preach to them and all of that. And then once they're out of here, here comes another team of people. they got to mop the floors and clean off the tables and do the chairs and take out all the trash and wash all the dishes and do all of that. And we'd get to the end of it, and it'd be Friday night, and everybody would be ready to bust. And we'd look around and say, what a team effort. What a team effort. I think about that every Wednesday night when I show up here for our Wednesday night service and there's a whole crew of people back there sweeping floors and throwing out boxes and pushing grocery carts out for Dare to Care and there's people working all over the place and then a whole group of us show up here for a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night which is important to us and we're ready. But guess what? First Baptist Church Fairdale had just served a whole lot of people that need food and you know what I think about? I think about a team effort. I think about a group of brothers and sisters in Christ that are striving together. I could go on and on with this. Paul writes from his prison cell while he's joyfully living for Jesus. 
and courageously dying for Jesus, that the church should be faithfully striving for Jesus. Together, with each other, helping each other. One commentator says, Paul urges readers not to break under the pressure of opposition, but instead to exert pressure of their own. This means proclaiming the gospel they have believed and living worthy of it. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, there will be those who oppose us. Yes, even in that country, they will kill you. But Paul writes to the church, we don't run, we don't retreat, we advance with love and service and being all about Jesus. What a letter. There are four chapters here and we've just gotten to chapter one. Church, may we be a people. May we be a people who understand what it means to joyfully live for Christ. Because of our faith to courageously die for Jesus. Be ready, folks. Believe. And may God move you to say being a part of the church means we do this together. We do this together. Striving is a word that we all know what it means, but it's a word that we don't use a lot. It means that there has been some difficulty. It took some effort. We were striving through it. It means it's a word that you do with other people. May we have a picture of Christ there. May we have a picture of Christ's church there. If you're here today and you've not settled your life on Jesus, let's do it. Father in heaven, thank you for Philippians chapter one. Thank you, God, for the example, the huge example that the apostle Paul is. Father, we want to live with joy. We want to be ready to die. And God, I pray that we would be striving with others. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would confess and believe. Father, I pray that you would help us to respond now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.